This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 37, The George Washington Zombie Plan. Well, hello again, everyone. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Virla, your inhumed host, and thanks for being here. Just a reminder to share the show if you like it, and if you don't like it, share it anyways. Maybe someone else will like it. Of course, I'll reference where you can like it and all that jazz at the end of the episode, but if you want to send me an email, it's contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. But for now, let's talk about presidents and zombies. And I'm referencing, of course, the plan to bring George Washington back to life shortly after he died. Do you want zombies? Because that's how you get zombies. I'm willing to bet a lot of you haven't heard of this weird story, and I'd bet some more that many people don't know about Washington's death. I guess it's not a topic lots of people like to talk about, I remember when I was a wee lad in elementary school asking how George Washington died. The teacher at the time said something to the effect of, Oh, he died having a heart attack after he volunteered firefighting. Well, that wasn't even close, let me tell you. Here's what I know. George Washington, famous founding father, first president of the United States, and revolutionary war hero, was born on February 22, 1732, and died on December 14, 1799. And although he had a rich and storied, some might even say fabled life, the events surrounding his death could just as easily been called the basis for an incredible science fiction plot. Let me first recount his final days, because I'm sure most people aren't too familiar with how George Washington died. Now, of course, George Washington was a well-known Virginian who lived at his famous Mount Vernon estate, and on December 12, 1799, the 67-year-old was still quite active. He was checking out his vast Mount Vernon estate from early morning to around 3 p.m. Now, I'm not sure just how much of his estate he was inspecting, but Mount Vernon was huge. We're talking 7,600 acres at the time, or about 12 square miles. That's a good amount of work for the day. So George set out on horseback looking for what one looks for on giant estates, trolls, magic portals, etc. But in December in Virginia, it gets pretty cold. And in fact, on this particular day, there was snow and freezing rain. Now, after he was done, he decided to go and eat his dinner but he didn't bother changing his wet clothes. Apparently, G.W. was known for being punctual, so he didn't want to be late for dinner. I suppose it was better to be known as soggy than as tardy back then. Well, the weather continued to bring snow, and the next morning, George had a sore throat. Go figure. But being the badass he was, George went to a wooded area near his home and selected some trees that needed removing. And like anyone who pushes themselves or talks with a sore throat, his voice grew more and more hoarse. After hitting the hay for the night, George was awakened with much discomfort around 2 a.m. So this would be Saturday morning, December 14th. 
And it was apparent he was having difficulty breathing, speaking, and even swallowing. At daybreak, however, Martha Washington, George's wife, sent for George's executive secretary, Tobias Lear. Tobias was basically Washington's personal assistant, I guess, and he was also secretary to George Washington when he was president. Okay, so Tobias comes in and George is having a hard time breathing. And so Tobias then sends for the overseer of Mount Vernon, George Rollins. And Rollins managed the estate and day-to-day -day at Mount Vernon. I suppose he was a jack-of-all-trades type of fellow, which came in handy because when he arrives, George W. tells George R. to bloodlet him. What is bloodletting? Glad you asked. Bloodletting was a common and accepted practice in where a patient would have their blood taken from them in order to cure or prevent illness or disease. It has been around for thousands of years, and the theories behind this form of medicine were many. Ranging from releasing demons and bad energy, restoring the body's balance of fluids, to relieving blood vessel tension, which many thought was the root of the diseases. Oh, and sometimes leeches were used to drain blood. But often, just a poke here and there would do it. Thank you for joining us today here at Archaic Asculapian. I'm Ludwig von Smythe. Today, we'll be reading for you an excerpt from the poetic master of medicine, Doc John Lill, a real innovator in the discipline of bloodletting. I hope you enjoy. Say, DJ, can I get a beat? Yes, a fresh one. Ah, now that's proper. Could I also bother you for a mic check? Mic check, one, two, <clears throat> three, six, nine, bloodletting time. I think I'll use these here leeches one more time. Get flow, get flow, get flow, to the elbow, to the brow, till the blood drop down my balls. Diseases and itches fall, till all squirt, squirt, mother Blood, squirt, squirt. God damn. Till all squirt squirt. Mother blood. Squirt squirt. God damn. Squirt squirt indeed. That's all this time. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Ludwig von Smythe. Cheerio. So, how much blood was let from George Washington? Well, at Washington's request, a half pint of blood, or eight ounces, initially. Initially? Josh, how much blood could a bloodletter let if a bloodletter could let blood? Let's find out. After the first batch of blood, Tobias sent for the family doctor, Dr. James Crake, Washington's close friend and physician for 40 years. Good credentials? Oh, and by the way, Martha was not a fan of bloodletting. But since G.W. was still in charge and was a believer in the treatment, he said, let it flow. They also gave Washington a very enjoyable throat treatment of molasses, butter, and vinegar. Yummy and smoothing. Also kind of dangerous. Molasses is pretty thick and sticky, and for someone who already is having trouble swallowing, this nearly suffocated Washington. 
So, like any concerned spouse waiting for a doctor's house call, Martha wanted a second doctor to be summoned, so Tobias sent for Dr. Gustavus Brown. Now, Dr. Crake arrived around 9 a.m., and Dr. Crake took a look at Washington and said, Good Lord, this man needs some fluid balancing, and blistered Washington's throat using Spanish fly, which is a member of the blister beetle family. Clearly, Dr. Crake was of the fluid balance theory of illness. So, he bled him some more and prescribed a concoction of vinegar and sage tea. To gargle with, of course. So, by 11 a.m., the second doctor, Dr. Brown, had still not arrived. But Crake felt things are getting serious now and sent for a third doctor, Dr. Elijah Dick. By noon, George Washington was given an enema. Always a pleasant experience, but surprise, he wasn't getting better. So he was bled again for a third time. Now, more time goes by, and Washington is just continuing to deteriorate. And at around 3 p.m., Dr. Brown and Dr. Dick arrive. The three doctors, Craig, Brown, and Dick, consulted a bit amongst themselves and figured, you know what the former president needs? A fourth bloodletting. So, they bled him again for the final time. The blood at this point was thick and flowed slowly, and this final bloodletting took about 32 ounces of blood from Washington. All in all, some estimate that Washington had roughly half of his blood drained out. And for reference, a human body usually contains between 1.2 and 1.5 gallons of blood. No wonder it wasn't flowing so good. So the doctors conversed some more and said, okay, this bloodletting isn't working. Let's induce vomiting. So they administered some vomit-inducing medicine. Better yet? Nope, try again. Now, by 4.30, George Washington probably knew he was about to go and called for Martha to bring his two wills. One was discarded and burned by Martha. Then he summoned Tobias again to get some personal state things in order. Now, check this out. George Washington was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to look proper. So at 5 p.m., he got up from bed. I would imagine he is very weak and in horrible pain at this point. You know, from all the poking, prodding, and administration of treatments. But he got dressed in his normal day clothes, then sat in his chair for a bit, and after 30 minutes, laid back down in bed. And Dr. Craig went to him, and then Washington says, Dr., I die hard, but I'm not afraid to go. I believed from the first attack that I should not survive it. My breath cannot last long. No whining from Washington, just badassness. But the doctors weren't done yet, and at 8 p.m. they blistered him some more and applied some medical dressings. By 10 p.m., Washington was having a rough go at it, as you can imagine, and made a request regarding his burial. He could tell he was beginning to fade, so he summoned Tobias again. I'll just let Tobias account for you. About at 10 o'clock, he made several attempts to speak to me before he could effect it. At length, he said, I'm just going. Have me decently buried, and do not let my body be put into the vault in less than three days after I am dead. I bowed assent, for I could not speak. He then looked at me again and said, Do you understand me? I replied, Yes. Tis well, said he. 
Thanks, Tobias. So basically, George told Tobias, hey, don't let them bury me for at least three days after I'm dead. I'll come back to this point in a second. But it was sometime between 10 and 11 p.m. that George Washington died. Now, those sound like some awful final hours of medical torture if you ask me. Medical science was crude back then, but I can't imagine going through all of that for pretty much an entire day. But what's the deal with the not wanting to be buried before three days passed? Apparently back then, people had a huge fear of being prematurely buried. G.W. didn't fear death, but rather feared being stuck in a casket with breath still in his lungs. And this fear wasn't unwarranted, but perhaps a bit paranoid. While there were certainly some cases of people being buried alive, I'm positive most fears stemmed from the common scenario of my cousin's brother's girlfriend's dad's sister's best friend was buried alive. But let's get a bit weird with this. George Washington was the first president and first president to die. But he might have just as easily been known for being the first zombie president. What? Enter into the scene Dr. William Thornton. Thornton was a well-trained, for the time, physician who had received medical training in Europe. He was a family friend and a designer of the Library Company of Philadelphia, the U.S. Capitol, and other historical buildings in D.C. No dummy for sure. So when Washington was dying, the family sent for Thornton in hopes his skills in performing the rare tracheotomy would fix Washington. Not a lot of doctors were trained in this procedure, but Thornton was, and unfortunately he arrived a bit late. I believe arriving the next day or the day after that. Luckily though, it was wintertime and because of this, Washington's body was being kept frozen by the freezing weather until, you know, burial arrangements were made. So Thornton was like, Guys, guys, I know GW's dead, but I think I can revive him. Martha, I see you're intrigued. Let me explain. Thornton's plan was to thaw Washington's cold, frozen body by means of a cold water thaw, then cover him in blankets and then rub him vigorously so as to bring warmth from friction. This, of course, would stimulate the blood vessels. Thornton would then make a hole in Washington's neck performing his specialty, the tracheotomy. Then a bellows-type thing would be inserted into Washington's neck hole so as to inflate his lungs with air. And the cherry on top was to give Washington a blood transfusion using lamb's blood. Why lamb's blood? Well, apparently it was a pretty common belief in the 18th century that lamb's blood had a sort of magical property. No doubt tied to religious beliefs, lambs being associated with being more pure and divine. But it was thought that its magic would jumpstart life in Washington's dead body. Interestingly, in the 1870s, the Germans were still transfusing lamb's blood into people. But this, of course, wouldn't work. And thankfully, the other doctors and Martha were like, Nah, brah, I think we're good. And not necessarily because they didn't believe his plan wouldn't work, but they figured Washington had been through enough and it was best to just let him remain dead and pass with dignity. Good call. Although I will say that Thornton seemed to kind of hold a grudge that they didn't allow him to perform his Frankenstein plan. As much as 20 years later, he was still upset saying that it would have been more or less the right call to have let him attempt it. Oh well, I guess we'll never know if it would have worked. 
And that's the story of Washington's horrible final hours and the plot to raise him from the dead, like a zombie. And now you know what I know. Medical practices back then could get very weird. Strange theories were many as the human body was still very much a mystery. Remember also, this was at a time before the concept of germs was known. People had little idea as to why things happened to people in many cases. And although today, looking back on things, you might say his doctors did more harm than good, especially with draining about half his blood, and indeed this didn't help, the doctors, though, of the time were trying their best using the latest information they had. Oh, and what did Washington actually die of? It's a little hard to pinpoint, I mean, aside from the blood loss, but modern doctors suggest any of the following possibilities. Croup, Quincy, Ludwig's angina, Vincent's angina, diphtheria, streptococcal throat infection, and acute pneumonia. But I think the majority of professionals lean toward the initial cause of infection being epiglottitis. Epiglottitis is an inflammation of the epiglottis, which is the flap at the base of the tongue that keeps food from going into your windpipe. This can be caused by bacterial infections and historically more associated with a flu strain. Today, this is a much smaller threat with vaccines and such. The mortality rate today is only about 0.9%. But back in Washington's time, of course, this was much higher. And now for something known for fun-letting. The haiku! If George the zombie bit you, would you become one? Wooden zombie teeth? Bonus haiku. Whoa, that sound means that we have a haiku submission. So lucky you, you get bonus haikus. A listener going by the name of Old Jerry submitted two haikus pertaining to the potato episode, so I'll go ahead and read them. Pennies, nickels, dimes. Get enough and you are rich. Too poor for taters. <laughs> I like that. Very nice, Old Jerry. And now for the second one. Tots, french fries, cakes. These things what potatoes make. Spare me five grand, sir. I like that. Those ones are pretty good. Thanks for sending those in, old Jerry. Keep them coming. And remember, if you guys want to send in haikus as well, go ahead and send them in. 575 is the proper haiku format. And that's, of course, syllables. But that's all the time this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or haiku through the website. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. 